During the 1990s, Spain was becoming a new country. Benvingut tots a Barcelona. Declaro abiertos los Juegos Olímpicos de Barcelona. On a high following the success of the Barcelona Olympics. Remember Ireland won gold in boxing that year. Spanish society was finally opening up. Divorce had been legalised. The church was losing influence. Spain was coming to terms with the years it spent under General Franco's fascist dictatorship. It was a time when secrets from the past were being revealed. Once uh, a policeman came to our house oh, yeah. mm -hmm. saying that he was a secret uh, police. That's Adriana Rivera Sarmiento. And he found many documents in a cellar. They were classified, but he wanted to know something more about it. The woman the secret police were interested in was Margaret Carney Taylor, who was said to be an Irish woman who lived in Madrid for over 50 years and, it seems, was very good at keeping secrets. And he came to, to ask what was going on. Adriana and her mother are the owners of the Embassy Tea Room, a restaurant on Castellana, the magnificent avenue that runs across Madrid. But it was their friend, Margaret Carney Taylor, or Margarita, as everyone called her, who originally opened the Embassy Tea Room in 1931, and it was her secrets the police were after. There are more than a few secrets about Margarita, the most dramatic of which was that she was involved in the escape of refugees from the Nazis during the 1940s. I'm Richard Fitzpatrick. I've lived in Spain for six years. I'm always curious about stories with an Irish interest. When I heard the story of Margarita, I couldn't believe my ears. I wanted to find out more, so I went in search of the truth about this heroic woman. Hello, David, how are you? I'm in Madrid to meet David Butler, a volunteer at the British Cemetery in Madrid. It's where Margaret Carney Taylor is buried. I'm always ready to talk about my, my friends. <laughs> Absolutely. I know them all intimately. It's a good place to start finding out the secrets of the woman known as Margarita. I think she was a discreet lady. Hmm. In every way, she never talked about any of her, uh, the way in which her business was used to uh, hide people. No one knew that story. Margaret Carney Taylor's involvement in the escape of refugees from war-torn Europe remained unknown for decades. It only emerged with the publication of a book on the subject in the mid-2000s. Uh, but when the book came out in 2004, and I showed it to elderly ladies, Oh, that's not possible. What will people think of next? Honestly, thinking of a sensationalist story like that, um, it's quite unlikely. Imagine Margaret Taylor being up to that. Oh, you know, and they laughed it off. Why were they so surprised? Because Margaret Taylor was so elegant, so calm, so unflappable and so genteel uh, and knew how to deal with people. Yeah. It, and they just didn't connect it. Th that this woman could have been a British agent or had been operating this ring mm. uh, under the cover of her tea room. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. No, 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 exactly. It turns out this elegant, well-spoken woman spent her life in Madrid 
keeping secret the details of her birth and her family history. None of her friends and colleagues in Spain knew the circumstances of her early life. I have here in front of me the birth certificate of Margaret Mary Taylor. That's Kieran McCabe, historian at NUI Galway. He's looked at the records of Margaret's birth certificate. And there we see the mother's name given as Ellen Taylor. And Margaret Mary is, we see, born in the workhouse in Christchurch um, in the county of Southampton. Margaret Taylor wasn't actually born in Ireland. She was born in a workhouse in the south of England. But her Irish identity was very important to her. Her mother was Irish. So what I have in front of me, the birth certificate for a Cantor workhouse for 1871 for Ellen Taylor. Margaret's mother was also born in a workhouse. The mother's name is there, but there's no mention of a father, suggesting that um, the father and mother weren't married at the time. Nobody who knew Margaret Taylor would have known the secret she kept about her own birth and the birth of her mother. It is remarkable that, from the background she came from, that she did rise to this... um, fairly substantial influential position she was uh, probably against the grain in terms of women who came from that background there's another mystery about margaret why she had the name carney as in carney taylor i wondered had she been married at some point one thing we do know is that she rose far above her humble beginnings and became responsible in part for the rescue of tens of thousands of refugees from nazi europe There are very few records of Margaret Carney Taylor. Her mother worked as a laundry woman. We know they lived in a very poor part of Bournemouth on the south coast of England during Margaret's childhood. Despite her background and giving the social mores of the time, um, the stigma that she would have had to deal with, um, living in Europe, for example, was this an opportunity to put that behind her for a new start? The next we know of Margaret, she turns up in Paris in 1924 and she herself becomes a single mother, giving birth to a daughter, Consuelo. But Consuelo didn't share her mother's surname when they arrived in Madrid a few years later. I've discovered Margaret took a paternity case against Consuelo's father, a Spanish diplomat with far higher social status than her, which was a remarkable thing to do in those times and again tells us a lot about the character of this woman. Margaret arrived in Madrid alone, except for her young daughter, Consuelo. Margaret Taylor came from um, living in Paris. She came to Madrid in about 1929, 1930. She founded an elegant tea room And she must have got the idea from Boulevard Cafés in Paris. But Margaret Taylor started somewhere where in the morning a lady could go and even take the nursemaid and her children with her. Or in the afternoon she could go on her own. Or in the evening, of all things, she could have a cocktail, which was also one of the things Margaret Taylor brought with the bar she founded, which was called Embassy. Hola, uh, buenos dias. Uh, Mira, we are outside Embassy. Years later, the tea room is still in business. Adriana and her mother, Teresa, are showing me around. This is uh, the, uh, the principal road of Madrid. It divides Madrid in two. 
and uh, Margarita, Margaret, she used to describe it uh, that it looked really like the Champs-Élysées. Walking through Margarita's embassy tea room today, it's easy to see its appeal, a respite from the turbulent world outside. But it's hard to imagine that so many people escaping the horrors of war in Europe would be kept hidden here while their passage to freedom was organised. Uh, this is the this is where everything begins. Okay, uh, Margaret comes to, from Paris to live to Madrid. Yes, and she starts living in this same building in the third floor. Now you just get into the shop. Now we use the same recipes as Margaret. See, everyone speaks her speaks about her like a great great uh, woman, very very modern for the time. She had a very modern ideas and she was very entrepreneur. She came to Madrid alone with her daughter just to begin a new life. The embassy tea room was, for many years, a little piece of England in the Spanish capital. Mrs. Taylor was, was for me, a, a, one of my favourite outings because, um, you know, I had a lovely auntie, a spinster, who... Uh, had a very sweet tooth and loved her cakes and used to regularly take young Jimmy to the embassy tea rooms. Jimmy Burns spent much of his childhood in Madrid. His father, Tom, worked for the British embassy and was a good friend of Margarita's. Uh, and I always remember this um, quite small, um, delicately framed lady, um, but with, with sort of very Celtic eyes, um, bluish eyes, and she was very much in control of the whole situation. Um, it, it was like a little wonderful as it is today, but even more so than a real oasis in the hustle and bustle of, of a, an emerging modern city, which was Madrid. There was this sort of little haven of uh, civility uh, where time stopped still, and this extraordinarily eccentric woman presided over this almost theatrical scene. Joan Cook is an English woman who lived most of her life in Madrid. She clearly remembers the tea room from its early days in the 1930s. Margarita used to make cakes, which you could buy because it was part of it was a shop, or you could go there and have tea. And she lived on the floor above. I wouldn't say she was a snob. Uh, luckily, she had too much Irish in her for that. Um, but uh, she clearly had a way uh, with the Spanish aristocracy, um, who were, of course, her main clientele before the war. Margarita ran her tea room successfully for five years, right up to July 16, 1936. The day before civil war tore Spain asunder, Margarita and her daughter Consuelo, who was then just 11, left Spain from the port at Santander, bound for England. Spain's atrocity-spangled civil war burns and butchers. Already it's estimated that 25,000 have been killed, and General Franco claims another victory in the Spain that is a sore, festering from Morocco to the Pyrenees. When the Spanish Civil War ended three years later, in April 1939, they returned to a very different Madrid to reopen the embassy tea room. Peace at last has come to troubled Spain as the new ruler drives into Madrid. And is General Franco happy? It was a city that was partly devastated by the war. He watches the march past of his loyal allies, the men who have helped him to build a new Spain, 
And there are also a few Spaniards. When the Civil War was over, um, it, it wasn't very difficult for uh, Margarita to recreate the embassy um, and to, to start getting her old clientele back um, because, of course, the aristocracy were on the on the side of the victors, um, on Franco's side, and were soon back in Madrid. They were soon reoccupying their palaces. And a lot of those palaces, of course, were down the Castellana, quite near where the embassy was. So it was effortless for some of these marquises to uh, walk up the Castellana and drop in on Mrs. Taylor all over again, just like their fathers and grandfathers. Margarita's ability to serve and mix with the elite of Spanish society would prove crucial in the years that followed her return to Madrid. Just months after Margarita reopened the embassy tea room, war broke out across Europe. The responsibility lies on the shoulders of one man. By his latest act of naked aggression, Hitler has committed a crime not only against Poland, but against the whole human race. Scuns and planes have crossed the Polish border to kill and to destroy. So Britain prepares to fight. And never in our history have we been so united. Spain found itself right on the edge of Nazi influence and allied resistance. Because Spain remained neutral, Madrid became a hotbed of espionage, a place where enemies could get very close to each other, all under the watchful eye of General Franco. Franco adopted an attitude that as long as he himself didn't feel threatened by British intelligence operations, uh, he was quite happy to let the, the Brits and Germans play games with each other. Um, as he saw it, it wasn't quite games, it was much more serious than that. But he didn't feel threatened. Abwehr, the German intelligence service, had about a thousand agents based in the German embassy. Only a small Lutheran church stood between the front door of the German embassy and Margarita's tea room at the end of the block. It was a very sort of incestuous, everyone was actually quite close to each other. I mean, the, the British and, and German embassies and residences were actually, you know, straddled the Castellana and, and were both in, in roughly the same area. Uh, embassy was obviously a, a haunt for the Allies, but uh, only about four or five blocks away, um, you had Horsha. Horsha, which is a sort of German restaurant, which had a sort of secret room at the back of the restaurant where, you know, visiting German senior intelligence chiefs and the Gestapo would meet. Joan Cook remembers the presence of Nazis in the city. The Germans strutted around Madrid in their uniforms, you know, and uh, people used to give way to them. Soon after the war began, Organised routes of escape out of occupied Europe were set up to get prisoners of war, allied soldiers and Jewish refugees away from danger. Margarita found herself deeply involved in these secret escape lines. The, the British had uh, a special unit set up uh, under Churchill for this uh, called M19. Um, and it was particularly specifically tasked with uh, the escape routes of, of the POWs. Uh, it became an extremely um, sophisticated operation, very well run. Although she was young at the time, Joan Cook remembers the efforts made to keep the escape lines going during the war. I know there were a lot of them that when they came through, Jewish and also a lot of the soldiers that he, when France was overrun by the Germans, 
and the British soldiers were able to get out, they always made their way to Madrid. The escape lines were organised by the British Secret Service in Madrid. Although Spain under General Franco was neutral, the Nazis had agents everywhere and were determined not to let Jewish refugees or Allied soldiers get away. Jimmy Byrne's father, Tom, worked at the British Embassy in Madrid. It involved uh, basically working quite uh, closely with sympathetic um, Spaniards uh, and to a certain extent the French Marquis, um, obviously because it involved uh, bringing the POW, identifying the POWs once they'd escaped uh, and getting them across the Pyrenees at a time when there was a huge German uh, presence in the Pyrenees through safe routes, um, often almost always through incredibly challenging terrain over the mountains and across the rivers, and then being met again on, on the Spanish side, then being taken um, down to Madrid. In southwestern France, guides and local agents helped to get people on trains or hike across the snowy peaks and gorges of the Pyrenees. The British Embassy in Madrid organised papers and transport within Spain, and people like Margaret Carney Taylor provided safe houses for those escaping the Nazi regime. They helped thousands on their way to freedom. Margarita's role and the role of her tea room was to provide cover and a safe house for the escapees coming through Madrid. She managed to do this right under the noses of German intelligence. Adriana Rivera Sarmiento explains how people on the escape route would enter Margaret Taylor's safe house by simply coming to the restaurant and pretending to go to the bathroom. They usually come in like uh, customers mm -hmm. and they go through the basement. The toilets were in the basement and the door that connects the shop with, uh, with uh, the building. And they just went through here to this door. And they... This is the kitchenette. I'm walking in the very steps the people who fled the Nazis 75 years ago would have taken through Margarita's tea and shop. This is the inside of the building. Here are all these Huge. small doors. Here. Uh, when they get all the papers through Margarita in, their, in her, her apartment. They, they would be waiting for false papers. Yeah, uh, false, false papers, if or if they were ill, to recover a little bit. Uh, yes. And after, um, at night, uh, an ambulance or a car used to come and pick them up. And then they would be taken yeah, to, to, to Galicia, to Galicia or, or, or Portugal, or, or Portugal, yeah, to take the the, uh, the barco, See, the boat, to, to the get boat, a boat, uh, to get to away Africa. from Spain. Oh, she Did kept them. quite a few down there too. Well, as she had the the main flat or apartment with the tea rooms and all that, where she used to take people in. They took in all these refugees, anybody that needed to to uh, hide and, and get out, you know, of Spain. Margarita wasn't the only person involved in this secret rescue operation. Irishman Walter Starkey, who was also buried at the British Cemetery in Madrid, was another member of the escape network. Walter Fitzwilliam Starkey, there is his wife, who was... Argentinian in origin, though they met in Italy actually. 
and there they are. He he, um, mm. he came to Madrid in 1940, I believe. That's to right. He was appointed as um, director of the British Institute. And he, I often think that he was appointed as an Irishman. He could move about more freely. German, the Germans were very, very strong on the ground in Madrid. They'd helped Franco, and of course, like many, Franco thought they were going to win the war. So you obviously make friends with the people who are on the winning side. And Walter Starkey, as an Irishman, perhaps was able to move about more freely than if he'd been an Englishman. But he was uh, very connected with the British establishment, as you know, although he was also a patriotic Irishman. He was director of the Abbey Theatre at one point, you know. His uh, daughter was always told they were never to comment on whoever came and stayed at their house or visited there. And there were very strange people passing through briefly because he was part of this network of people on the run and they disappeared into homes like the Starkey or Margaret Taylor. Uh, there were various safe houses, I think, apart from just those. Just like Walter Starkey, perhaps Margaret's Irish background helped to deflect suspicion from her part in the rescue operation. Walter Starkey's daughter, Alma, was a teenager during the war. One night, uh, when my father had come back, my mother said, oh, Alma, uh, we got somebody coming to stay. Uh, and I said, who? <laughs> and so she said, well, he's a, he's a Britisher. He, uh, the, he's not feeling very well, and so we're, we're going to put him up. And, of course, the, these were these young pilots, they usually, that at least the one I saw, he seemed to be very handsome. Uh, and, all. <laughs> and my mother said, Alma, you must go to bed early. Uh, and the, the British, I didn't say anything, but he kind of smiled at me. And and were you was your mother nervous about keeping these? Yes, 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 she was. She was. People uh, they had to lie low in the flat. They 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 couldn't show show themselves much in the windows. And how many of these escapees do you remember staying in your apartment oh, the, during the, the war? Quite a lot, over the times. The Starkeys and Margarita were part of a wider clandestine network of resistance fighters and civilian volunteers that spread all the way across Europe, helping people to escape the Nazi terror. Through Spain alone, 30,000 were smuggled onto Gibraltar, Portugal and ultimate freedom in the Americas, Great Britain and Palestine. Not only were pilots and other Allied servicemen given safe passage, Growing numbers of Jewish refugees were also using the network that ran through Madrid as Hitler's Holocaust began gathering pace. The Völkerstreit oder Hass untereinander. Er wird gepflegt von ganz bestimmten Interessenten. Es ist eine kleine wurzellose internationale Clique. One of those children who travelled on the escape lines out of Nazi Europe was eight-year-old Benjamin Hirsch. Now, well, we, we got to Marseille on the back of a truck. Um, and from Marseille, we took a train, which is going through the Pyrenees, and instead of going straight to Madrid, we were going to stop at every little Podunk station along the way so that we would get to Madrid after dark so that the spies would not see us. 
So, I mean, whoever was planning this thought of everything. It was really, this is weird. Uh, they were preparing us for the trip. I and mean, here we are, kids, you know, uh, ranging from 8 to 12, 13, like, like that. And actually, my, my, my sister was even older than that. She was f- maybe 15. Yeah. Um, but uh, they pulled us aside and said, look, you have to understand something. You're going through the Pyrenees Mountains. You're going through Spain. And Spain, while it's not part of World War II, they're not part of the Axis, they're not part of the Allies, but they are very close with, with the Nazi regime to the point that uh, they have allowed all kinds of espionage, Nazi espionage, all throughout uh, Spain, not to look for American soldiers or British soldiers or paratroopers, only looking for Jews trying to escape. That's a no-no. You're not allowed to let Jews escape with their lives. So, okay, so we're listening. And he says, and uh, he looked at us and he says, you guys look like a bunch of ragmuffin Jewish uh, immigrants, and they're going to spot you right away. They know exactly who you are. But we are exactly what you said we look like. Uh, what, do you, what do you want us to do? And uh, uh, he says, he pulls a sandwich out of a bag, and he hands it to one of the boys in our group. He says, now, what are you going to do with this sandwich? The guy says, that's easy. I'm going to eat half and put the other half in my pocket and you know, never know what I'm going to eat again. That's exactly what you can't do. And then shook up, you know. <laughs> What's he talking about? He says, Jews do that. You can't do that. You, don't, you, don't, you can't have any food in your pocket. You can't save anything. We're going to give you a lunch every day. And you can eat to your heart's content. You want to eat it all? Go, for, go ahead. But can't save a thing. You cannot put food in your pocket. We had five dry runs before everybody got the idea that you can't do that. Benjamin didn't need to stay with Margaret Taylor as he passed through Madrid. He and other Jewish children he travelled with stopped over at a convent in the city. It was very scary. Uh, and I mean, like, we, we got, when we got to Madrid, we were greeted by a group of nuns. And they took us to a, a, a convent, saw to it that we were bathed and fed. And then we had uh, about an hour to take a nap because we had to get back up before the sun rose so we could get the train again going to Portugal. And they didn't, we didn't want to be seen you know, by, by the spies. So, uh, I mean, all of this was very fast. Benjamin's time in Madrid was very short, but the memories he has of the love he was shown have stayed with him. He makes no secret of his affection towards people like Margaret Carney Taylor and others who helped so many to safety. Uh, the TLC that we got, I mean, it was... Yeah, I mean, that stays with me. It was uh, so nice, you know. Nobody fussing at you. <laughs> they knew how to, how to deal with you. And just, I, mean, I, 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 I felt this tender loving care, and I've, I've think, I think about it a lot. It was, it was, uh, it was and I don't remember anything like that since my mother. Benjamin escaped through the Spanish line and spent his life in the United States. He went on to become an architect and lives in Atlanta, Georgia today. Benjamin's mother and his younger brother and sister 
were killed in Auschwitz in 1943. His father died in Buchenwald in 1942. Everyone involved in the escape lines through Spain was also taking huge risks. The threat had been to Margarita if the Germans had, dis had caught her harbouring refugees. It would have been fatal. Um, the Germans would have considered, uh, as they did consider, members of, uh, of MI6 and M19 and all the other units, um, you know, spies or anyone connected with espionage uh, were not treated as prisoners of war. Uh, they were, um, you know, taken to concentration camps and, and executed, or they would have been, she would have been lifted, she would have been kidnapped, uh, she would have been tortured uh, to try and have as much uh, information extracted from her uh, and she would have been inevitably executed, show, uh, which shows the extraordinary courage of this woman and indeed the courage of other people uh, who helped her. Apart from the small group involved in the escape network in Madrid, almost nobody knew the risks Margarita had taken and the secrets she had kept. One thing that wasn't a secret was the close connection she had with the people who knew and loved her in Madrid, including the Borgigan family. There's a picture here of her blowing out the candles with my father. Juan Borgigan was part of Margarita's escape network during the war. His son David looks through some family photos featuring Margarita. Again, another picture of her. Whoa, she looks fantastic there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean to say... Uh, is this, this is 19... No, no so this is 1976. 1976. So she is 86 yep. there. Yep. That is yep. amazing. She looks fantastic. Yeah, she does, actually. She was a... Very a striking woman. Comple you know, her complexion was uh, totally... Most of the younger generation remember her as a stern woman. My memories of Margarita when, when I was a kid... Once she um, invited us for lunch at her her place, and we were small kids, and my father was always, you know, put you only put your wrists on the table, you don't um, put your hands underneath the table, blah blah blah, and all this sort of stuff, all very. And on one occasion, I I was about to put the elbow on the table, and immediately a spoon came flying towards the um, the uh, the elbow to <laughs> knock it off the table. I mean, that was that was her. No no bad manners. Um. What I remember is that she's, she's a very uh, strict woman. She liked everything very perfect. Everyone is, You remember those old films where there's the grandmother with the little children? Uh, you know um, uh, Sound of Music? The children, they have to be perfectly well-dressed, perfectly street, <laughs> always being very respectful. Well, Something like that. <laughs> but she was also renowned for being kind. She was a person that uh, so cared for her personnel that when she died, she passed the whole shop over to, 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 the, um, to the workers that were, that were with her. As well as this sense of loyalty, it appears that Margarita had the ability to mix with the elite of Spanish society. This might well have been the very reason her role in the escape lines was never discovered. One relationship in particular with Franco's brother-in-law seems to have helped protect Margarita in wartime Madrid, as family friend Jimmy Burns explains. Ramon Serrano Suñer, uh, he became 
foreign minister early on in the war. Um, now, Serrano Sunier was regarded as very pro-German. Um, you know, he was uh, the guy who received Himmler when Himmler came on a visit to Madrid. He's seeing in all the photographs uh, with Himmler and the Nazis. Um, but, um, you know, clearly uh, he had Franco's ear on certain matters. And, um, you know, if, if uh, he was also uh, a very good-looking chap, um, uh, Margarita uh, was a good-looking lady by all accounts in her youth and had a certain way with men, um, particularly aristocrats, but people, powerful men, um, and uh, undoubtedly struck a, um, a good relationship uh, with Serrano Sunil. Um, but he would have been an important guy uh, to underline the sense of, of protection, of subtle protection, uh, that the embassy tea rooms uh, enjoyed uh, from the Franco regime uh, and, and undoubtedly uh, protected the embassy tea rooms from a unilateral raid by the, by the Nazis. You know, how is it possible that you know, during the war, uh, the embassy tea rooms were um, were used uh, often to hide some of these escapees. Well, the fact is that, you know, you can bet your bottom dollar, uh, Franco's secret police knew some of the things that were going on at the, um, at the embassy tea rooms, uh, but were under orders from above uh, not to kick up uh, too much of a fuss about it. The ability by Margarita to play both sides showed extraordinary guile. She seems to have had the wherewithal to mix at the highest levels. As David Burgigon remembers, the King of Spain was one of her customers. I mean to say, I do recall that, for example, uh, when it was the Juan Carlos's, uh, when he came back here and he, he had uh, um, Felipe, and uh, she always used to send um, uh, cake on the kid's um, uh, birthday to, to the palace. Not only did Margarita send cake to the palace, she had tea with the Queen. Muy amiga de la reina Federica, madre de nuestra, de Doña Sofía, reina de España. She, she was, this is amazing, Margarita mm. was a very good friend of uh, the Queen of Greece. Yes, yo he tomado el té aquí. She took Wow, you, you had tea with Margarita yes. and the Queen yes. of Greece, mm -hmm. who, whose daughter was, or, uh, was Queen Sophia, yes, the Queen Sophia. of Spain. Yes, Sophia, yeah, the Queen of Spain. So mm -hmm. Margarita and you were drinking tea with royalty. <laughs> so Margaret Carney Taylor, or Margarita as she was known in Madrid, managed to rise above her humble beginnings and mix with the elite of European society. As to the mystery of the name Kearney in Margaret's surname, Kearney Taylor, it turns out it wasn't a married name, as some of the people who knew her believed, or a made-up name. Historian Kieran McCabe explains. Um, the register that I'm looking at now in front of me, uh, the register of baptisms, for a Cantorque workhouse for 1871. For Ellen Taylor, we see what appears to be um, John Carney and Ellen Taylor, and their religious denominations are given respectively as Roman Catholic and Protestant. 
Um, so the father is Roman Catholic and the mother is Protestant. So if, if John Carney is mentioned there, it, it would suggest that he was indeed the father. The name Carney seems to have been a very personal link Margaret had that goes all the way back to her grandparents, the birth of her mother in the workhouse in Canturk, County Cork, and the first of three generations of single mothers. What strikes me as quite interesting is the three generations of the family giving birth as single mothers in three different countries, in Ireland, in England and in France. I suppose on the one hand, it could be suggested um, she was running away from her background and the generational poverty and destitution from which she came. On the other hand, we could look at it as saying um, it was a not quite unique but very very rare case where she rose to such levels having come from that background and to see it as um, it speaks volumes about her character. Certainly she was uh, able to hold her own among moneyed people and among people who had a high opinion of themselves socially because as in all foreign communities where the British are prominent there was a great deal of social pretension. People erasing all the tracks of whatever they had done before and becoming new persons. Margaret Kearney Taylor was a complex and secretive woman who, in spite of her origins, achieved a great deal. It's no longer a secret that her greatest legacy was that she managed to use her position in Spanish society to help so many Allied servicemen and Jewish refugees like Benjamin Hirsch escape to freedom. One afternoon I was walking along the beach of Lisbon and... Lisbon is just one long beach. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I had this shoulder-shrugging experience. You know, all of a sudden. And, and like, something's happening to me. And I, looked, I said, well, what's going on? That at that time, I was eight and a half years old, more than that even. And uh, I realized that up to this point, I had been living in a continent where nobody really give a damn if I lived or not. And not only that, I was always told, never, ever go out by yourself, day or night. It's not safe. If for any reason that you have to go out by yourself, you have to look to, to on both sides of you, look in front of you, look behind you, look up, look down. Somebody is there lurking to try and do you harm. Whether they want to kill you, whether they want to hurt you, or whether they want to capture you and all of that. It's just, you cannot go out alone. And I realized that all of a sudden, I was walking along the beach with nobody else. No need, no no feeling of a need to look at either side of me or what's going on. I felt, I I just didn't need that. And for the first time in my life, I felt freedom from fear. Fear. 